0: Welcome to episode 217. If you're here, then you probably know at least 10 things you could be doing differently in your daily life for you to be and feel healthier and for your likelihood of disease to be lower. So if we know, then why don't we do it? This is the question that I've dedicated the last few years and the next few years to really deeply understanding. And recently, I was invited onto the Keto Camp podcast to share on this topic Ben and I talked about mindset, behavior change, and emotional management tools that you absolutely need if any healthy meal plan or diet or lifestyle change is to actually stick and actually change your life like you want it to. If you're after the missing piece to making meaningful change because the countless times before didn't work or didn't stick around, then let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. what's up my healthy friends in 2023 it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight while feeling in control and without restriction along the way and if that sounds like a fabulous idea for you then scroll down to the show notes below click the link and let's chat and start making this happen for you no better time like the present Alright, shout out to my man Ben Azadi on the Keto Camp podcast. That man is absolutely crushing it in the world of health, nutrition, podcasting and social media celebrity vibes. He's uh, a legend also because he had me on his show. And also a big thank you to him for allowing me to share it with you over here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You know, in life as you do things, sometimes you're like, I don't even know what I said when I was doing that and then other times you're like oh I fucking nailed it today (laughs) well this conversation with Ben felt a little bit more like the latter so without robbing you of any more time with my obvious genius level downloads (laughs) just kidding this shit kicker just happened to have a good day on this one that's all anyway let's hand it over to Ben to guide this conversation into amazingness
1: Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we bring on an awesome guy, a scientist, a nutrition consultant. His name is Maddie Lansdowne. And I just love his energy, his attitude, his enthusiasm. He's a young dude, and he's got so much research, so much experience. And I really enjoyed this conversation with him. We get into his backstory of what he learned working at a cancer hospital and how he saw the link between nutrition, lifestyle behaviors, and cancer growth, especially obesity and those who are overweight. We get into some of the devastating stats out there regarding cancer, genetics, and what the World Health Organization has to say about cancer. We get into diet culture and why being dogmatic doesn't work. He has a great philosophy called One Tweak a Week meaning one change a week. And I always say, small tweaks lead to giant peaks. So if you're somebody who struggles with long-term results, you take one step forward, one step backwards, and you end up making no results, getting no traction, this is going to be a great conversation for you. We talk about getting outside of your comfort zone and why that's so important. How to make long-lasting changes that are meaningful and sustainable. How covid has been a blessing for so many people, awakening them to the importance of your health and also awakening people to the power of the media and the government. We also get into forming your own identity by challenging your ideas, challenging your belief systems. We get into paradigms, the subconscious mind, the reason you should permit yourself to enjoy something guilt-free. There's something to be said About eating something that's not necessarily healthy, but having no guilt and forgetting about it. And it's not about the setback. It's always about the get back. I always say setbacks are really setups for something great. We get into accountability and how accountability is the glue that ties your goals to your results. It is the best success insurance policy you can develop. And so much more. You are going to love Maddie Lansdowne, who also has a great podcast that you should subscribe to called How Not to Get Sick and Die. I can't wait to bring him on. You're going to love his accent as well. Maddie Lansdowne is a scientist and nutrition consultant with a passion for sharing the truth. Maddie started a Facebook Live ranting about food as medicine and nutritional therapies, which soon moved to seminars, retreats, in conferences, in front of thousands, and is now accompanied by his growing podcast called How Not to Get Sick and Die. Here's Maddie Lansdowne. Maddie Lansdowne, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast, my friend. Hey, Ben, how are you? Thanks for the invite. Thanks for joining me all the way from Melbourne, Australia. You're living in the future.
0: Apparently, we decided before we hit record that it's a bright future. (laughs) It It always is. And
1: we get to decide that. So I like that decision. It's about 6am for you. And it's uh, about 4pm for me. So Mm -hmm. my day is winding down. Your day is just getting started. But those listening, you're going to enjoy this conversation because you are doing some great work out there. And we'll get into some of the cool things you're doing. And your awesome podcast. But let's rewind to how you even got involved in the health space. Like, how did you even find yourself working at a cancer hospital? What led to that? And then, what did you discover at that cancer hospital?
0: Yeah, great question. So for me, I grew up sort of in the countryside, in here in Australia, and my mum was a nurse. So from a very young age, I sort of was connected to that world of healthcare, because we're in such a small town that uh, my daycare was effectively going to the hospital. So I went to the hospital on all the way up until I was about five or six and went to school. And then on school holidays, I would be at the hospital and just sort of behind wherever my mum was working. And so... That, that's an important part of the story because it means that from a very young age, I developed this really positive relationship with the concept of medicine and hospitals in a way that had nothing to do with health. Um, it was just my, you know, I'm, I'm a, this little boy that's super pumped and excited and just loving that lots of people want to talk to me. and And, you know, little did I know at the time that, you know, I was spending a lot of time with sick and dying people whose families really didn't want much to do with them or were burdened by them. So the reason it was so such a good experience for me is because all of these people kind of channeled their need for attention and love and care into this little boy who was super curious about, you know, everything. So I learned, I learned all sorts of things. I learned how to play poker, I learned uh, all these war stories, And just, I just learned lots in that phase of my life before I even realized I had learned all of these things. And so from there, I sort of grew up into a teenager that, um, was almost an elite level athlete. I was almost a part of the Australian national swimming team and training very regularly, so moving into that area of I guess health. But when I say health, I was very much raised by a very normal Australian family, which isn 't too different to an American family when it comes to food and nutrition, so one of those things that you know my parents were doing the best they could with the education they had and which obviously wasn 't great uh, because as that 's why this podcast exists right because there was a good 50 years of corrupt information being pumped out into the world. Um, and then from there, I moved to the city to do my research and study, went to university. And when I was at university, I actually lived with two coaches of some elite football teams here in Australia. So we have Australian rules football, which is our national sport. And I was actually living um, in the house of one of the strength and conditioning coaches. And so this was, this was the moment, even though I was doing a degree um, that was predominantly biology-based uh, and molecular biology, this was the, the trigger for me to realize that there was a connection between uh, food and the body. Because my housemates were basically photoshopped. like They were so ripped. They were so fit. You know, They were a few years ahead of me, so they'd finished uni. And I was just living the beer, rice, pasta, you know, and bread diet because I was at uni and that's all I could afford. And that's what I thought was fine to live on. Um, and so I started um, going to supplement lectures at the football club and learning from my housemate being like, "Oh, why are you eating this? And always eating chicken and vegetables and and steak and this type of thing. And Learning that, you know, at that point, supplements are really just a tiny portion of the conversation, whereas my belief system at the time was that, you know, if you want to solve any problem, you have a supplement or you have a medication, you know, that pill for an ill mentality, which is often carried over even into the natural health world, you know, with naturopaths and that type of thing. It's that still people are still looking for that pill for an ill. And so anyway, I graduate uh, with that kind of knowledge and and around some very elite Australian athletes. And that that kind of just triggered this interest. And then I did an honors degree in nutritional epigenetics um, in regards to lipid metabolism. So I learned a lot more there working for a company that also worked with elite athletes, which was really cool. Um, I was working with like corporate dietitians and nutritionists and, and I was there in the lab. And then from there, I ended up working at the cancer hospital, which was just by chance, I didn't have any desire per, per se to be a cancer scientist. I just the company I worked for was getting closed down, and this was just the next job. And so, um, I, I got into this job um, and started going to the cancer hospital every day. And it took about six months for me to to be like, "All right, it seems like I'm going to be here for a while. I probably should really get my you know hands dirty with this cancer stuff." Um, and so, you know, keeping in mind too that um, my my base degree, my first degree, was forensics, so a big focus on death and understanding mortality and that type of thing. And so it took about six months of attending mortality and morbidity meetings every single month, Monday for me to be like, how come nobody has ever talked about the cause of disease? We're always talking about these really extreme subsets of, you know, this, this person with this molecular snip, you know, this... Uh, Mute mutation in their DNA, or this group over here, and their reaction to drugs. And that's the lab that I worked in. Um, that's what they did. They specialized in testing people's genetics against a particular drug profile. And so I just started asking questions. I was this naive, you know, early 20s kid. And I said to my professor, I went to the World Health Organization website, and on the cancer page, in sentence one, it says 90 to 95% of cancers are diet, lifestyle, and tobacco why don't we focus on diet and lifestyle? Obviously, there's been a huge tobacco movement in the last 25 to 30 years. Why do we not focus on the other two? And he laughed at me. He laughed. He was just like, oh, Maddie, if it was that easy, we would have figured it out already. <laughs> um, it, and it said, that, of course, next to that was that it's only at the time, and this was about 12 years ago now, that it's only 5 to 7% of cancers that are genetic. However, the way the media has portrayed cancer, if you talk to any person on the street, they would say cancer's bad luck, aka you got bad genetics and there's nothing you can do about it. And usually most people that get a cancer diagnosis literally start waving the white flag. They're just like, that's it, take me. God's here to take me. And unfortunately, that's not how it is. There's a lot that we can actually do. And so over the next five to seven years, I kind of became the office hippie. Because I was like, we're not dealing with the cause. And so I started learning about nutrition. I went down the rabbit hole of the Rockefeller family and how the pharmaceutical industry came to be and what underpins that and why we've gotten things so incredibly wrong. And I would argue that we haven't gotten them wrong. We've intentionally gone down this path from an economic perspective. And so that led me. It just got me angry. Basically, um, it got me angry that I felt like we were being lied to. That even our doctors in the education system were being misled, and that there was all of these people thinking they were doing amazing work, and unfortunately, they've also been misled by you know a corrupt pharmaceutical industry where their mission is to, you know, get us on drug as long as possible. Yes. A lot of the research produces uh, circumstances where we extend our life, but it doesn't extend the quality and it doesn't cure or heal the disease because obviously healthy people is a problem for big pharma. Now, I'm not someone to beat up on capitalism because I think a lot of natural health professionals say, damn, big pharma and their profits. And it's like, hang on, aren't you trying to make a profit too? like we're all trying to make a profit, right? So I really think there needs to be an alternative that is economically incentivized for healthy people to flourish. Currently, that doesn't exist. But yeah, this, this situation just fired me up over the years. And I started doing lectures outside of the hospital. It was bizarre. I would work in the hospital in the day. And then at night, I would go and do, talk, do a lecture on how there's 6,000 studies of turmeric and cancer, or ginger And cancer, and then I'd come back the next day and talk drugs. So it was a bizarre scenario. And then I got a nutrition degree, a clinical nutrition degree to start working with people. And because of my frustration, I started my podcast, How to Not Get Sick and Die. Because I, you know, and I named it that one because people laughed and I want health conversations to be fun and light and exciting. But two, like it's so much easier to not get sick and die than people think. There's not heaps of bad luck out there waiting to come and get you, especially in the privileged world of Western countries that are probably listening to this show, right there's a lot we can do, and so yeah, then I started my, my business and working with people, and just um, on that journey uh, of doing nutrition lectures, and I was fortunate enough to speak in multiple countries at retreats and conferences, I realized that people like loved the information but they weren't changing. And I was like, okay, so I've gone from bad, we believe that it's bad luck. And then I've gone from there to, oh, everybody needs to eat healthy. This is what you have to eat. And actually, everybody already knew. I've actually never spoken to anybody that didn't know they needed to eat meat and vegetables. Every single person that's ever attended one of my lectures or talks or listens to the podcast, they already know that. And so then I was like, why is this not happening? And that's what led me to do what I do today which is I really work with emotional eating relationship with food and the psychology of being healthy, which really is a personal development exercise that has nothing to do with food.
1: Yeah, I love that. What a great story. Um, Super inspiring. I love that you were thinking outside the box of conventional wisdom going down the rabbit hole of uh, Rockefeller and some of the the history of... And it's very similar history in Australia as it is in America. We call it the standard American diet, SAD. It's standard Mm -hmm. Australian diet, also SAD. Both are stupid and sad. Question for you. You said you studied lipid metabolism. And I'm curious, when you were studying that, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: did the training that you were learning back then cover, I'm sure it did, polyunsaturated fats, omega-6 fats? And if it did, was it saying PUFAs were good for you or bad for you? Bad for you. Interesting. Okay. Okay because here it's it's you know dietitians and nutritionists are taught that it's actually good for you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, what I was studying at the time was more about the how fast different lipids are utilized by athletes um because, ah, got it. because the company that I was working for was creating specific powders that were like literally customized to your genetic profile. So it was about how quickly those fats enter the bloodstream and then are used by the mitochondria. And then based on that information, it would be like these lipids or these lipids or these lipids we would put into the powder so that obviously these athletes could perform better.
1: Understood. Got it. That makes total sense. Yeah, I was just curious on the training on the poofers. Okay.
0: So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me, All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence eBook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below.
1: When you were working at the hospital, I remember when I was studying for this, you, you were taking a survey of the people that were sick in the cancer Mm -hmm. hospital and about 86% of them were overweight is what you found, right?
0: Yeah, totally. So I was just at this point where I studied so much sort of outside of my job in the sense that like, you know, general wellness, diet, and realized, of course, you know, I found a photo from the 70s. And it was just a group of people on a beach, like there's probably hundreds of people in this photo. And that everyone was like in shape, not just like healthy weight, like in shape. And if you look at lots of photos of our parents back in the day, or our grandparents, everyone is basically ripped, right? And so and then I was just sort of in this hospital. And I thought maybe there's, Maybe I'm experiencing a disproportionate, you know, reflection of the community because I work in the hospital. However, I I didn't feel that was true because you know I have existed in in the city and walked around outside before, and and we're now in the situation where it's kind of weird to find a, you know a person who's a healthy weight. But back in the day, it was strange to have a, like to, to know someone that was significantly overweight. And so, looking through all this research, the connected. Obesity as a precursor, or being overweight as a precursor to any of the diseases of civilization. And when I say that, I mean your diabetes, your cancer, your Alzheimer's, your dementia, you know, all of these diseases that come as a result of overeating the wrong foods. I thought, all right, I'm going to do my own little study of... uh, I'm going to walk into every single ward on the hospital. Um, And at that point, I had access to two hospitals that were connected. So I literally just went on a walk with my phone, did my own little study, and I just counted every patient that I could see in a bed that was visibly overweight. And yeah, 86% was the number. And but that reflects basically the research I had been reading that, yeah, most people are overweight that get a disease. And I, and I knew that already, like from walking through the clinic every single day to go and get samples and specimens, that yeah, everybody in the clinic looks significantly unhealthy, their skin's terrible, you know, they're overweight. They're, and of course, hospitals don't sell health food. Interestingly, the hospital that I worked at tried that. I actually had vending machines with healthy stuff in it uh, when it first opened because it was a new building, um, and it lasted about six months because obviously <laughs> they didn't generate any cash out of them, so <laughs> um, so they changed them. But um, but yeah, so I just wanted to confirm to myself that like this overweight thing was real and that it was a precursor because solving being overweight is much easier than solving cancer, and so you know. If we can fix the, the problem before the real problem, oh, we're going to add years to our life. And not only that, we'll actually live the last 10, 20, 30 years of our life with quality and experience and you know, being present and able to keep up with the kids and your grandkids rather than being, you know, yes, kept alive, but stuck in a chair or not going outside or doing all these things. So once I kind of proved that to myself, I was like, right, there's a lot of work to be done here in people's mindset because everyone knows what to eat. We need to change the way that people look at themselves and engage with the world in order to upgrade the way that they live.
1: Mm, well said. You know, I love that you did that experiment at the hospital. And, you know, that doesn't even count the people who were skinny fat, right? With the fat around their organs. So it was probably even higher than 86%. But it's interesting because you determined 86% of them were overweight. It's your own little study. But then there's also a study that came out. I'm not sure if you saw it. It was in America from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in 2018. That also did a study. I think there was about eight thousand people in the study looking at different metrics, blood pressure, A1C, on medication, off medication, and they found that eighty-eight percent of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. It's very much in line with your eighty-six percent, which is unfortunate. It's also predicted in America that by the year twenty thirty, in eight years from now, fifty-five zero percent of American adults will be obese, not just overweight, but Obese. And then the CDC also shows that one in three women are diagnosed with cancer within their lifetime in the US. And for men, it's one in two. And a lot of people, to your point of what you shared earlier, believe it's just the bad luck of the draw. You know, cancer runs in my family, or I got this gene and there's nothing I can do about it. But that is not true. That is false. There's so much control. Ninety-five. Bruce Lipton thinks ninety-nine percent is under our control through our environment, our thoughts, our behaviors, our food, our drinking supply. We'll get into all that. But I, I love your approach, Maddie, because how old are you? Thirty-two years old. Thirty. Yep. Yeah, bang on. Thirty-two years old, and your history and your experience and your research is that of somebody. Who discovers this around usually sixty years old, fifty years old? So it's super cool that you discovered this at such a young age because you have a lot of work ahead of you and a lot of greatness to do, and it's you're gonna have a lot more time to do it. So I love I love to hear that. And Einstein said, "Intellectuals solve problems; geniuses prevent them." Right. So you were <laughs> you were an intellectual. You were. You know, solving problems and looking at mortality and what was the cause of this or why did this person die. But now you switch to being a genius, and now you're looking at being proactive instead of reactive, which gets us to a lot of the work that you do, which is similar to the work I do. I call it the mental six pack, but focusing on the inner sizing versus the exercising, because it's it's not information that changes people's lives. We have an abundance of inf- information. Uh, if information changed your life, then every librarian would be a multimillionaire, right? So it's not that. <laughs> it's the application of the right information, but also doing the inner work. So let's get into that. You noticed that you would tell people, eat this, not that. Drink this, not that. And maybe some people did it, but majority probably did it for a little bit, fell off track. And then what were some of the, things, the trends you noticed? And then what were some of the action steps you took from that?
0: Yeah, sure. Firstly, thank you for those very kind words. I very much appreciate that. That has a lot to do with my very rebellious personality and not wanting to conform to the groups around me. But it's led be in a good that. direction.
1: I get that. Well, the quote is conformity or well, the, the opposite of uh, courage is not... What's the quote? The opposite of courage is not cowardice. It is conformity. That, that's exactly like me. I agree.
0: Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I saw a, a quote the other day actually that said that in a society that's fat, sick, and nearly dead, being healthy is a form of rebellion. <sighs> so true. I like that.
1: Right? I like that form of rebellion. I'm good with that.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. So to answer your question... There was a trigger moment for me where I was, it was like, I need to start building a program and a business that helps people because I did this presentation and I forget what I was talking about, nutrients, supplements, something like that. And then after the talk, people were like thanking me and blah, blah, blah. And then somebody came over and said, Maddie, they'd waited till the very end till everybody was gone. They're like, Maddie, love the talk. I really want to talk about um, how we can work together. Let's go to the McDonald's across the road and have a conversation. And that was the moment that I was like, um, and I think he said, like, get dinner or get, get some food. And I was like, hang on, hang on. I literally just talked about this for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and, wow. and that was the moment that I realized I was like, I'm gonna do something different. Because information yeah, is not the transformational variable. And like you said, um, librarians would be geniuses, we'd all be healthy, sexy, rich because Google exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? We just Google the information. Be celebrities
1: and rock stars if that was the case. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> totally. So I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this differently. Um, and so I guess the thing that I was seeing and learning, uh, which probably all of your listeners uh, have experienced, there's just people that have been on 10, 20, 30, 40 diets, and they're in a more unhealthy state than when they first began the journey. And yes, they might have had some you know, superficial results along the journey, lost a bit of weight here, lost a bit of weight here, got healthy, it was really, really hard. But, you know, then uh, once the wedding was over, or once the event was over, I returned back to my old self. And so um, I was going on my own personal development journey and dealing with my own childhood trauma a lot in my 20s, and spent a lot of time in therapy, sorting my own out. And that, journey and that information of actually going through it, like myself, really informs the work I do now because, you know, I'm not just a 32-year-old that thinks he's got all this life experience. um, And just, you know, I've read some books and I'm trying to share that information. I think emotionally, you've got to go on that journey to really understand that it is challenging and that you can't solve some of these deep problems in an eight-week course or a ten-week course. And there, and I, and I adopted the, the the sort of tagline or the mantra, which a lot of podcast listeners and clients parrot back to me, which is one tweak a week. It, that's the way that I look at changing your diet and changing your lifestyle is that if we jump too far out of the comfort zone, which is what happens on conventional diets that most people have been on way too many, you jump so far out of the comfort zone that your nervous system and your identity doesn't recognize the environment and therefore interprets it as unsafe and dangerous. And that's why people slingshot back into their old set of behaviors. So the idea of one tweak a week, both nutritionally and from an identity perspective, is that we step over the comfort zone line, just one step at a time, we pick one thing, and then we sort of master that. And then we move on to another thing. And then slowly, a new lifestyle or way of showing up in the world is built. And conventional diet culture, which is what most people are used to, doesn't go about it like that. It goes, says on day one, Jump off the cliff, you know. Buy four hundred kilograms of kale. Empty your fridge of everything that we would label as evil. And it also has this issue with with language and labeling, and it's this dichotomy, which is like good and bad. Which the way that I talk about it with clients is to think about your inner child and your inner parent. So we've all got both, Um, and that happens when it's like you know your you your the child always looks to break the rules, push the boundaries, and that's the child in you is like go on, just have one now we'll start the diet diet tomorrow and the parent is the one that then after you do it says wasn't good enough be better and then we're just for forever... it's like this tennis match back and forth or you know a yo-yo diet right it's up and down on this narrative so we have to insert another voice to that conversation and that is the adult so there's the parent the child and the adult the adult is honest non-judgmental it allows space and it allows life to occur as it will, but it also could be regarded as your higher self or for some people God um, or your intuition, and the adult is a, a, just another way to or another voice in that conversation that can rationalize and manage the conversation that's going on and that conversation was embedded by marketing for most people, like especially in the diet world, like it's always going to be in there like good and bad, do this, don't do that, um, but the adult is what we want to move towards in order to make a decision that respects ourselves. And in that process, we develop self-love, self-respect. And as we do that over time, we start making decisions that actually are in favor of our body and in favor of the life we want to live. And we also have to understand the past because we've all got a past that led us to this current moment. And if we don't understand the motivations that led to the behaviors that created today we're never going to be able to change them because we are going into the future totally blind you know so we have to understand how we got here so we know which set of behaviors and which triggers and which traumas to manage in a way that we can change them moving forward
1: well said my friend i love the idea of one tweak a week it's terrific uh, i'll take that as, i'll even add to that because i always say small tweaks lead to giant peaks right so totally. one tweak a week Small tweaks <laughs> lead to giant peaks so you could add that. <laughs> <cilantro>. <laughs> and it's true, but the, the, it's not a popular approach. And people don't like to hear that because mm-hmm. it, we have this microwave thinking. Like, I want the magic pill. I want the magic diet. I want the weight loss now. I want the results now. And we've been programmed that way, as you know, from society. And when you tell them, yeah. hey, actually work that way. You have a set of habits in the subconscious mind, the paradigm. And we have to change the paradigm and it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a period of time. There's two ways to change the paradigm. If somebody doesn't know what the paradigm is, it's a multitude of habits that fire on autopilot where you don't have to think about it. It's the subconscious mind running the show. I'm sharing, I know you know this, but I'm sharing this for those who are listening. And there's only two ways to change it. Number one, an emotional impact, right? 9-11 for a lot of people here was an emotional impact and then it changed people's habits, their thoughts, their subconscious mind. I lost my dad to the complications of diabetes in 2014. Changed my paradigm, changed my thoughts. So an emotional impact is one way. Ideally, we don't want to go that route because there's a lot of suffering involved. But that's one way to change the paradigm. The better way is what Maddie teaches all of his clients and with his podcast is spaced repetition. (laughs) Over time, and eventually you create new neural grooves in the brain, this plasticity starts to occur. And now you have changed your thoughts. And when you change your thoughts, you change the pattern, you change the paradigm, then you change your habits and your results. And it doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. It happens over time. So I love the one tweak a week because it's that one change. You get better this week than you did last week. And then next week, you get better next week than you did this week. And that starts to compound over time. And you start to habit stack. And that's the long lasting change. And that's exactly what you do, isn't it, my friend?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is that I think a lot of people, you know, they want everything tomorrow. And the truth is, so do I. Like we all do want that. We just have to have the maturity to understand that that is not possible. Because that's, you could argue that that's also a strategy to continue tricking yourself into failing, um, and into letting yourself down and not respecting yourself. Because um, and I had this conversation on a podcast here in Australia recently was that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they are like, oh, I want to lose 100 pounds or whatever it is. And that goal is so emotionally that goal is so far out of their possible world you can't connect to it you know and so it's like yeah I'd love 10 million dollars but I don't even know what 1 million dollars feels like do you know what I mean so you need to you know unless you've got this some kind of inner savagery that is just like I will relentlessly produce this outcome no matter what what you have to be somewhat connected to the goal in the contrary You don't want those tweaks to be so meaningless that you just like, uh, this isn't doing anything. And it's a shift in mindset, right? Is that instead of getting up and like working really hard and meal prepping every day and, and you know, say losing sleep to get to the gym and that type of thing. That's what like people in their physical body, once they feel tired or when they go to the gym, you know, people have to feel sore. And that's not always the best way to train. But when they do, they've convinced themselves they've done something. And in that process, you wear yourself out. <laughs> Literally, life's busy, life's stressful, there's a lot going on, people have got kids and jobs. And, and so it's like, we have to master the one tweak a week, because there's not enough space in the 24 hours that you've got every day in order to live like this forever. We're on these unsustainable trans, you know, transformations that yeah, work short term, but don't work long term. So we have to make the, the tweak meaningful meaningful enough that it, it wants to be committed to every single day, but not too big that it's so far out of your comfort zone that it, it takes too much time, um, or it's too much of a change. But uh, an important part of the way that I go about things, and this might be the same for you, Ben, is I get people like in week one of my program, we literally call it calibration week, which is like be you, be normal you for a week and track everything. We don't, when I say track, I don't, we don't count calories, we don't weigh food. But track the emotions that you have when you eat, track the times you eat, the locations you eat. And with this information, we start building... An awareness of the patterns we've got. And you you were talking before about, you know, how automated these patterns are. And for anybody that's ever driven a manual car, I often use that example. <laughs> yeah, In the beginning, example. it was like overwhelming. Like you had to change the gears, you had to look over your shoulder, look at all the mirrors, get the revs to the right point. And then a few years later, you could drive hundred miles and actually be asleep, basically, because it's so automated. So that process of going into the subconscious and pulling out the automated things that your conscious mind is not aware of. It's a process. And so with the clients I work with, what we do is we do that for a couple of weeks because on week one, people are just getting... They're being confronted with their own reality. They're just learning who they are for the first time. Processes that were embedded in the unconscious decades ago. And then week two, we're finally aware of the process. So it's like, oh, you know, whether it's eating the chocolate or whatever the, the habit is or managing stress in a poor way, like you start to catch yourself in it because you've pulled it out of the subconscious. So, week one and two is a bit emotional. A lot of people get confronted by the things that they're actually doing that they didn't realize they were doing. And then, week two, we can start to see the pattern as it comes into our awareness. And then, by week three, we feel the trigger before the pattern has rolled out. And we have to get to that point before we can offer a a one-tweak-a-week alternative because we need to know the anatomy of the habit, the anatomy of the system that is leading us to produce the results that we've currently got. Once we're there, conventional diet culture would have you think, just pretend triggers don't happen. (laughs) is <laughs> like stress even a thing, and that 's not the case. These triggers are always going to pop up, right? Yes, you can take the power out of some of the triggers um, and work through them that 's a you know a couple of year experience five ten years for some people, you know depending on what that is. so we need to know what the trigger is, what is the environment, what is the location, what is the emotional experience i 'm ha- having once you are literate in in that part of yourself only then can we successfully find an alternative tweak or change, or I call it a routine swap out. So the middle part of that anatomy of the habit to start producing the emotional experience that makes us feel safe, secure, and certain once we know what's going on. Because if we don't know what's going on, we're just randomly trying things and we're not understanding which emotional purpose they serve in our day. Other than I want to look good in a bikini, which rarely lasts very long.
1: Mm -hmm. So you're telling me it's not as easy easy as just cutting your calories and moving more. I thought that was the way to
0: lose <laughs> weight, dude. It's funny you say that because uh, yesterday I listened to your Gary Taubes episode. So. Oh,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah but Gary yeah. goes hard on that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we know that's not the case. I mean, we're not denying calories. They, they play a role, but it's, it's a distraction. That's what it is. I, I love your approach. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Because what you're doing with your clients and your community, you're helping them become aware of that paradigm, that subconscious mind, because it's just running the show.
0: So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below.
1: Neville Goddard. Have you studied Neville Goddard's work at all? Are you familiar with it?
0: Not extensively, but I know who he is.
1: Yeah. So he has a great quote. He said, we are only limited by weakness of attention and poverty of imagination. So I want to relate
0: that quote to what you're sharing here and actually have a slide. Let me see if I could pull this up. That's so relevant to the 2022 in social media.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, it is, dude. So here's what I mean by that, right? Subconscious mind, weakness of attention. So for those watching on YouTube, I'm going to explain it for those listening as well. But I have an image here of a, um, a glacier and on the top you see... Over the water, the conscious mind, a small little part, but 90%, 95% is underneath the water, which is the subconscious mind. And I have bullet points here that say mainstream news. I put fear porn in there, social media, friends, family, coworkers, billboards, TV commercials. And I had that with an arrow that says weakness of attention. And we were constantly being pulled different directions. And the simple thing here that I noticed because I'm really aware of my paradigm and my environment. When the, and this is not a pro vaccine or against vaccine, this is just more of like me noticing what's happening. When the vaccine got rolled out, this is something I saw right on Google, on the Google website, which is a, you know, the letters Google, they have face masks and band aids. And if you're not aware of your environment, like what Maddie teaches and what I teach, this will go right into your subconscious mind, pushing you to a certain direction. And this is happening all over the place. So I want you to share more because I know you talk about this a lot. What do you see in relation to this, Matty?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because being in Melbourne, we, are the, we were the most locked down city on the planet. Um, we had the longest lockdowns and it's only just this week um, that we have been, I'm allowed now allowed to attend gyms and cinemas. And, are you
1: serious? Yeah, this week? Been, yeah, this week. March yeah, of 2020. Been,
0: Yep, it's been March since March 2020. Only this week, and it's been a very emotionally challenging time, very lonely, disconnected. And you know, through all of this, I, I left my job at the hospital in 2020 on sort of moral and ethical grounds. But um, the thing that I noticed because we were locked down so much is that I watched a lot of Netflix, and I noticed a bunch of Netflix images, the thumbnails for the shows. They obviously photoshopped masks onto them the same kind of thing that you had there with the Google image. And I yeah. noticed that and I was like, oh, I can't even escape this ridiculousness <laughs> on Netflix. Like it's everywhere. everywhere. There's a huge agenda.
1: And, and, and that's, we're talking in relation to, to COVID, but think about what, what's happening with your eating habits and Burger King and Coca-Cola and all that. That's happening every single day.
0: Well and you know like I've talked to a few people and and you've, you would have heard this too a lot of people have referred to this as the great awakening now that's not necessarily saying that it's all a scam and it's all a lie you know conversation for another day but it is awakening people to the power of the media and the fact that the news is a PR agency for the government. And that leads you to ask, what have I blindly believed in the past? Or what has been embedded into my subconscious? Or what belief systems? And this is actually to circle back to working with clients. A lot of clients in the first sort of month realize they're like, oh, that thing I've been saying to myself for years I can now remember the exact moment when I was 10 years old that my mum gave me that belief about food. And so it's the same thing with the media, with our friends. It's like, do I actually believe these things? Are these experiences that I've investigated, looked into, and been like, I believe that? Or is it just an idea that somebody else that you respected or looked up to at the time believed? And and you mentioned at the start too the fact that people say with um, you know chronic disease that it's in my family a lot of the things that are in your family are these unconsciously embedded habits and relationships with food that lead you to live the same life. Like, and that's the power of epigenetics, which is that, you know, it's not your genetics. And a lot of people thought that for a long time. And Bruce Lipton, you know, I, he was one of the first people that I found because he's a molecular biologist. I'm a molecular biologist. And he was talking about all these things that I was starting to sort of naturally think about as well. And I was really confused. And I found his book and read it. And I was just blown away that, like, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. And everybody at the hospital thinks I'm a lunatic <laughs> for thinking this way. And so that was really the first book that took me down the path that. Yeah, what you put in determines which part of the genetic sequence gets played yeah. out, and you can think about it like an MP3 or a CD or a record. You know, the bit that you want to play, you just move. You know, the, the, the move it to the position in the song that you want to hear, and it's the exact same with your genetics. It's like ninety to ninety-five percent in cancer, at least, um, and definitely with diabetes too, because we know that's a result of dietary choice for the most part. There's, of course always a few unlucky people with their genetics. That's a real thing. Yeah, there's always exceptions here. But there's a
1: but that high percentage we
0: have control over. Over 90% of the people out there have control over this. Totally, totally. So yeah, finding Bruce Lipton just blew my mind apart because I was like, I'm not entirely crazy. And then realized, of course, a lot of people thought Bruce Lipton was crazy. But a lot of people think, all the people in this natural health space and you know awareness space are crazy because again it goes against their belief systems and mm-hmm. like gary said on the podcast the other day the definition of a quack is that they don't know that they're a quack <laughs> yes. and like and you could argue that all of us in every way are quacks because we believe our own narrative right but having this awareness and perpetually challenging the ideas that are in your head is a really healthy way to start forming your own identity and coming to terms with like, what do I actually care about or believe or want? And a lot of people can't answer those things, or they're living out the the wants and desires of society. Mum wants me to have kids, so I guess I'll do that. Uh, My friends are getting married, I better find someone to settle down with, you know, and in in amongst all those people is of course food, because we meet and eat together. Um, And so we follow and live out the same types of eating patterns and relationships with food unconsciously as well. But hopefully podcasts like this are starting to introduce people to the idea that oh you might be living somebody else's life. You know that job you hate? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it for you or somebody else and and there'll be a, there's there's a phase of denial. There's you know I'm not pretending it's an easy process. So I went through it where I was like I felt like a victim. I was like this sucks. Like I'm just I've got to do this and I can't leave this job and like I'm now working for an industry that I disagree with, and I actually got really angry and was really unpleasant to be around there for probably a year or two because I was just so rebellious against the system that I was actually working in, um, and it was just like this massive internal conflict um, until I developed enough self-belief over those years to be like, "You know what? I can create whatever I want." And I was able to quit in the middle of a pandemic and you know uh, run my business full-time instead of a, be a side hustle. It wasn't an easy year but you know anything is possible once you take control of your own belief systems and your own decisions.
1: Oh, I love that. Congratulations for making that transition and start and you started to live on purpose with your purpose. There's there's a lot to be said about that. There is that book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. She was actually, in, I believe, an Australian nurse, Bonnie Ware, and the number one regret of people on their deathbed. Very similar work to what you did. Her her work was uh, I I lived my life according to what people expected of me, right? Like you said, my mom wanted me to have this job and and be this doctor or be this lawyer. So I became that. And so I lived lived the life of what others wanted me to be, what, what others expected me to be, instead of me being what I wanted to be, my purpose. And that was the number one regret of people on their deathbed. There is a very important thing here where when people live on purpose with their purpose... There is numerous health benefits. I'll give you a perfect example. You might know this or you might not. There was a book that came out in the late 80s called Recovering the Soul by Dr. Larry Dossi, medical doctor. In the book, they determined, they could predict when people have their first heart attack with 85% accuracy, meaning 85% of the time when people have their first heart attack in the United States, it's when this takes place. And it takes place... Monday morning between 8 and 9am in the morning when people are on their way to work to a job that they hate. Their psychology affects their physiology, giving them a heart attack 85% of the time. And that is the impact of stress and not living on purpose with your purpose. So like what Maddie teaches and what I teach is to stop following the crowd, start following your purpose. And Bruce Lipton has proven that your thoughts, when we have about 60,000 thoughts per day, and every single thought is a frequency that communicates with your DNA to produce proteins and stem cells. Your thoughts produce proteins and stem cells. And if it's a negative thought, like when you had, Maddie, those thoughts of being angry and resentful, and why is this happening? Mm -hmm. The proteins produced are inflammatory proteins building up your body in an inflammatory way. But if it's a loving, grateful, abundant thought, the proteins produced are anti inflammatory, and sixty thousand thoughts per day means we have sixty thousand opportunities to put the body in a healing state isn 't that incredible dude
0: oh it blows me away, and I guess as well that for a while creates like in people they 're like, "Oh no, I have to think all positive thoughts you know there 's also the natural the natural flux of life right and I went through that being like i 've got to be grateful for every single moment and then after two years of lockdown in Melbourne, I was like. I don't give a shit about anything. Like, I'm not grateful for anything. I'm just angry. You know, like there's, of course, natural fluxes in the emotional experience of existing as a human. One tweak a week.
1: It's not, you know, changing 60,000 thoughts in a day. It's one tweak a week to your point. Yeah,
0: totally. But to bring this back to eating, something that just popped into mind is that a really important part of this process is permission and that goes from um, the inflammatory proteins being produced from a stress response that you just talked about to them not being produced. Because when you know what's what your triggers are and which paths you might walk down with particular foods, um, now that that's in the conscious mind and you're aware of it, sometimes you can give yourself permission to enjoy the chocolate or enjoy the birthday cake and know you've got an agreement with yourself, with your adult self on the other side, that at this moment, we're going to we're going to finish the chocolate, and then we're going to return to the way we were existing before. And it's just such a different approach. The amount of people that have been through my programs that say that bit alone meant that I didn't fall off the bandwagon. Because usually people leverage those moments to beat themselves up to sabotage their success, and permanently fall off the bandwagon. And you find that you eat less, that you enjoy it more, and that you're able to return to that state of health. And therefore, these foods that you enjoy don't have to be eradicated forever. It's different, of course, in the case of um, extreme sugar addicts that actually have a serious challenge regulating that stuff. But the belief systems that you, you go through that produce these inflammatory proteins at the time that you're like just do it, just eat the fast food, get it. You know you'll feel crap, but who cares? It's easy. Like this conversation in your mind is producing those negative thoughts, uh, producing those negative proteins and not helping the response to your body. So if you are going to choose to go down that path, permission, respect, love and care means that, yeah, you're going to eat less of it. You're going to enjoy it more. Uh, and returning to normal won't be an identity crisis uh, or re- returning to being the healthy version of yourself won't be an identity crisis. It will all be part of the same narrative.
1: That's powerful. Uh, that's so powerful. It's, it's so true. And I, I always say it's not about the setback. It's about the get back, right? It's exactly what you just said. And if you ate totally. that Big Mac from McDonald's, but you went into that, like, I'm going to enjoy this guilt-free <laughs> and then go right back to my my healthier eating patterns. You're going to reduce a lot of the damage from that Big Mac. Of course, there's going to be some damage from it, but if you go into it with that loving state, like to your point, oh my gosh, that is a brilliant tip right there. So for those who struggle with that, give yourself some grace and love, enjoy it. You know, this is great a great tip for the holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and any kind of weddings and all that.
0: So to be careful though, just a quick caveat. Is that when we talk about like the inner child, the inner parent, and the adult? Is that you've, you, if you catch yourself trying to leverage permission too often, it's probably your inner child trying to hack the system. And so we've got to be really aware of like where that turns into a slippery slope. Because of course, you could give yourself permission every day for every meal and love yourself to death. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> You're right.
1: That's why. It's important to have a coach to kind of coach you on that. That's why... Totally, you totally. Accountability,
0: a community, a coach, that type of thing. So that when things fall apart in an unfavorable way, someone's there to help you get back up. Because... You could be with no one. You could, we could all live single, free lives by ourselves if we were super happy all the time because we don't really need much in that state. The challenges are when you fall down or fall apart and things don't go well and there is stress because they're all unavoidable events. That's the time you need a coach, a community, people to help you navigate the challenges and get back on track. If you're anything like me, you spend a lot of money on supplements each month.
1: Have you ever thought if these supplements are actually working for you? Are they attaching to your receptor sites and helping your cells do a specific job? What if you're not getting enough minerals? Or what if you have too much of something creating an imbalance in other minerals? Knowing this will not only save you money, but it'll also improve your health so you could balance out the vitamins and minerals that you really need. With that being said, how the heck do you know if you have a mineral imbalance? What I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that at the comfort of your home. In this case, I'm talking about my friends over at Upgraded Formulas and their Upgraded Hair Test Kit and Consultation. When you discover the truth here and what's going on with your body, you can vanquish any of those hidden deficiencies that are affecting your metabolism, thyroid, adrenals, mental performance, endurance, strength, and sleep, just to name a few. I've had Barton Scott on the show before, and he gave a masterclass on minerals. How this works is simple you are sent a test kit, and you use some of your hair. You just cut off a short piece of your hair, it could be on your head or pubic hair. You send it back to them, and they have your results. They also offer a consultation to go over your results with you. It's simple, it's effective, and it's one of the best tests to know if what you're doing is working for you or not. If you'd like to get your hands on their deficiency test and consultation, head to UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 to receive 15% off your entire order. That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below. The quote that resonated with me the most, well, I love the one tweak a week, but I also love, I wrote it down, solving being overweight is easier than solving the cancer problem. It's so true. And if, if being overweight contributes to cancer, like let's focus our attention on that. And we got the tools to do that. It's, it's fairly, I'm going to use the word easy, but it, it can be done fairly easy with the right protocol, the right coach to get that obese body into a healthy physical body. And I'm sure you've seen it time after time with your program now.
0: Yeah, totally. It's, it's absolutely possible. And yeah, just being real with people too is is really important. I find that um, I had a client that literally said in our testimonial video, she was like, I just like that Maddie's not going to bullshit me. Uh, because so these things are going to be difficult. Sometimes they'll take a lot longer than you want them to. And I, you know, I'm trying to be the anti diet out here. I'm trying to be like, here's what's really going to happen. And most people are like, I've actually intuitively known all of this. I just wish that it wasn't true for 35 years.
1: Mm, yeah. No, that's so powerful. <laughs> I tell people all the time, too. I'm like, years, not months. Like, if you really want to achieve optimal health for most people, the truth is, years, not months. There's, There's a multi-therapeutic approach. It's not just what you eat, it's what you think, it's your behavior, it's all the stuff you teach. So it takes time, you know, And, and it's a beautiful thing because success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. That's what Earl Nightingale said. So that worthy ideal is the health you want to achieve, the physical body you want to achieve, the whatever business goal you want to achieve. And as long as you're just closing the gap between where you are now and that goal, that worthy ideal, the goal you've fallen in love with, you're successful and it should be a great journey. It could take years, but who cares? It's a fun journey. You're growing, you're getting better each week. And that's it's all part of it. It's a beautiful thing. I've noticed when I have a goal, I'm so much more happier as I'm... On my way to achieving that goal, then when I hit it, then yeah, I celebrate it. But it's like, what's the next goal? Have you noticed the same thing?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And that seems to be the universal information from successful wealthy people, right? It's like when I got here, I was like, oh, what now? (laughs) Exactly. Set a new goal.
1: (laughs) Celebrate it. You know, I, I think we should have a, we should be grateful. But I'm always like, for me, I'm personally healthily. Dissatisfied with life. I'm grateful, but never satisfied, and I think that's a, a healthy balance, at least for myself.
0: Yeah, no, I, and I'm pretty similar. Like finding that balance, um, and having people in your life that keep you accountable to celebration is a good idea too, because it's very easy to get disproportionately focused on the the hard and the negative. Um, you know, we could have a meet a hundred people, and we'll dwell on the one that just we didn't gel with or that didn't like us. And so, having someone that reminds you, it's like, you know, hang on. You know, this is worth celebrating. It might feel like a tiny goal. I know for my own podcast, like, you know, getting to the first 10,000 downloads, I was like, oh, Joe Rogan gets like a billion a year. Like uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, no, we're going out to dinner. And then we did the same at 50,000 and 100,000, 150. So it was just like, now it's just a part of it. It's like, this has to be celebrated because there's lots of hard work. And if we don't find time to enjoy the process, then what's the point?
1: (laughs) So true. And what you appreciate, appreciates. It's a universal law. So if you celebrate the small things, they end up becoming big things. Like to your point with your podcast uh, downloads, universal law. Accountability is important. Bob Proctor said, accountability is the glue that ties your goals to your results. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, the best success insurance policy that you could have. So you do that with your clients. Share a little bit more about where they could learn more about your program. You have an awesome podcast, which is called How Not to Get Sick and Die podcast. I'm going to be on there soon. So everybody go subscribe to it. Get those downloads up higher because you're doing great work. But where can they learn more about your program and work?
0: Yeah, sure. So we, we're just about to overhaul the website. So that website should probably be up this week or next week. So Uh You can find us there um, at the podcast, How to Not Get Sick and Die, of course. And I guess we, fo- we focus a lot on women and mothers. So I have a Facebook group too called the Busy Mums Collective. So if you're a mother that wants to get healthy, feel free to come and hang out there.
1: Awesome. We're going to put all that down below. But by the time this comes out, your website would be done because it'll come out in two weeks from now. So the website would be great. Uh, We'll link it down below, maddielandsdown.com. How Not to Get Sick and Die podcast. We'll put your Facebook group down below. My audience is, uh, you know, there's a lot of moms and and women in my audience. So go and check out Maddie. Go check out his website, his social media. Go listen to his podcast. And I want to acknowledge you, man. I love the work that you're doing. This was a fun conversation. Love your energy, your attitude. 32 years old, man. And you've got the wisdom of somebody who's 62 years old. So I'm excited (laughs) for your future. And uh, if you ever make your way down to... Uh, America and Miami, where I'm located, I'd love to see you in person, man. But I want to acknowledge you and say thank you for the work you're doing. It's awesome. And I really enjoyed the conversation today.
0: Yeah, me too. And I'll definitely come and hang out. We've got, as we discussed before we hit record, we've got a bunch of mutual connections in this health world. And I've I've been on so many summits in the US. So yeah, I'm definitely going to come and hang out sometime. But thanks so much for hanging out and having an organic conversation. And I really appreciate your time, Ben